Good evening and welcome to the Obelisk. Tonight's guest is JJ. JJ of Rain de Blanc brand is a New York, New York metalsmith and artist born and raised in the Delaware Water Gap area of Northwest New Jersey. She studied photography, painting, and metalsmithing at Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD, and Montclair State University. Her work is heavily influenced by her upbringing in the rural surroundings in nature and by her close family members working in the fields of science and space technology. She has been a clairvoyant, psychic, empath, and experiencer of all things strange for her entire life, with dreams of being an integral part of what of all that she does. Lost my place there. Sorry. JJ, welcome to the show. Nish, welcome. <laughs> Greetings, listeners. Hi. Yay, yay, yay. JJ in the house. Hey, everybody. House. <laughs> One of my absolute favorite people out in the world celebrating with JJ every day. Ditto, and, girl. Yes. And hello, everyone out there. And yes, hello, Jerry. Hello, Nish. And JJ's out on, hello, uh, out on Cape Cod with no power. So she's she cranked up her charger. Or you charged your phone. You're on your phone, right? Yeah. Awesome. How so, JJ? How extensive is the power outage there on the East Coast? Woo! Well, I don't know about the rest of everyone, but Massachusetts had about half a million people without power um, earlier in the day when I checked. I'm assuming it's pretty much the same. The storm has just been relentless all day. Crazy winds. I saw a report of an apartment building roof being blown off and cool. big old trees cool. being cool. toppled over from the roots. And so, you know, gusts of wind, I think up to 89 miles per hour. And, you know, I'm out on the Atlantic, so it's been just whipping through here. For hours. Ooh, girl, it's, it's a witch's a wind. Little... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's, I mean, sometimes it gets so crazy that it howls like a wolf around here. So there were a couple of times in the early morning before, before light that I was hearing this crazy howling going on. You are bringing in the Halloween season, old school, New England style. We are, I just posted some Salem stuff and we are rocking it with the witchy season this year, JJ. <laughs> I know that's it's, right. It's dark as hell out in the collective. <laughs> crazy stuff going on, persecutions going on. And I am so happy to have you here with some ghost stories from your past. Ghosts from your past, if you will. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to, I guess, start with the early on stuff. I have, a, I have, I'm trying to do it chronologically, so I'll do my best. But uh, well, can I ask you a couple of questions first? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You don't get to start talking right away. You know, away. I want that. 
No, no, no. And you know, you know me, I'm like a Mack truck. Um, Jerry knows. <laughs> I want to know. Back so up some, into me, baby. Oh, pull up to my bumpo daddy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so JJ, what, what do you think ghosts are? I think we should just iron this out for a second. What, what are ghosts? I knew, I knew you're going to ask that. And I'm like, thinking about it for a couple of days now, like, what the hell are they? <laughs> because I don't think that they are what I thought they were when I was a kid, or even up until more recently. Um, ooh, that's a, it's a loaded question. I guess I'm leaning towards that there's some kind of overlapping of of people and time, not even necessarily people, maybe just entities or some kind of sentient beings. I mean, I think it, it's all of those things. I think we encounter all of those things, demons, Jerry, <laughs> demons, angels, all of that stuff. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of proofs and documentation, but we only see a fraction of our world visually, and we only hear in a certain range. So I think there's a lot of things surrounding us in this realm that we're not aware of at all. And I think those things bleed through in certain points of our life. We might become more sensitive, perhaps to trauma or hormonal changes or anything like that where, where we could become more attuned to those things. And uh, I think it's possible that, you know, I, I, we, we're doing so much genealogy lately and I'm seeing so many bizarre, wonderful things popping up that it makes me think that perhaps some of these spirits or people our our ancestors from the past peeking through. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. I think it's a lot of it can be genetic memory of some sort. I don't know. I'm yeah, still well, thinking about it. There's a lot to think about, and it gets complicated when we start looking at ideas of overlapping realities, timelines, bloodline weaving. Uh, all this stuff that's just made our 3D reality become more dimensional as we've understood things differently in the last 20 years in particular. And so it's tricky water. It's interesting. In the end, it does feel like there is, uh, well, one of the things I've always been in love with is it gives a sense of mystery to our experience here. And so. Yeah. So with that, I want to look at some of these ghost stories. And I just want to say hello to everyone in the chat. Y'all know I ain't up in there. Uh, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry representing. And so I want to welcome everyone in. I know that uh, this was going to be a fun show because JJ's got the ghost story rumble going round. <laughs> and so when we look back to 
these ghost stories, JJ, are you telling them in a chronological order or is it an order of scary and intrigue? What's the order you're using? Well, I, I mean, it might flip around, you know, here and there, but I, I'm trying to stick from early on in childhood, just some of the strangeness that I encountered, you know, which I've talked, I talked about before the last time I was on Knox Mente, but some of it, I don't think I went into everything. And then. Well, shiver me timbers, girl. I'm excited. Let's get going. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, you know, when I was a kid, I was always very observant of things and, you know, I, I had all of the crazy dreams, nightmares, prophetic dreams. Um, I had some unusual, what I felt to be unusual at the time. I don't, whatever you want to call them, powers, whatever, with turning lights off, just, you know, willing it to happen and blowing light bulbs out and things like that. And uh, I had some crazy episodes as a kid with sleepwalking and having lucid dreaming while I was sleepwalking, which thankfully subsided as I got older because, man, <laughs> I could be really dangerous and I was having strange unexplained physical issues as well even as a kid I had the soles of my feet burning all the time and my parents kept taking me to doctors and my the bottom of my feet would be just bright red and burning and I'd be crying and screaming and no one could figure out what was going on because I you know it could be diabetes or some other medical problem that's causing that, but they couldn't, they couldn't find anything. And this is where I'm going to skip ahead is that a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine, actually a mutual friend of ours, Fish, um, connected me with a woman who she found to be very gifted, very psychic, thought she might be able to help me. And this woman, she didn't, our friend didn't tell her anything about me. She didn't even know my real name or anything like that. She didn't know what I did for a living, just nothing about me. And so I talked to her for a while and she, one of the things that she told me immediately was that there was a curse on my family on, on the maternal side, was through actually the men on my mother's side and the curse was put on the women and all the women of my family over the generations. And it had to do with the men stealing some great thing of power and hiding it away, but basically to protect people. And so a curse was supposedly put on, on the women of my family because of the actions of the men. And this so is an old tale telling me, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, at first I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever. But Hashtag then she starts me too. telling me, yes, exactly. And then she starts telling me about my feet though. She's like, you had a curse put on you when you were a young child where they bound your feet. And she said, I see metal and like 
something that looks like barbed wire and shackles. And she said it, it was more my left foot, which is supposed to be, you know, your leading foot in, in the spiritual. And she said that the feet connect your soul to the earth. And someone had slapped a pair, <laughs> put a bunch of metal on my feet and bound my feet together. And it was causing all sorts of problems in my life for me. And that I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't tell her about the burning feet, but yes. she saw that immediately. So I thought that was something very interesting. And, you know, she she gave me some some sort of remedy to try to remove these things from me. I don't know if it worked or not or whatever, but... Uh, I just found it pretty relevant to what happened to me as a kid. Well, I think that so anyway. it's, it's very interesting because whether or not you think it worked, there's a psychic working that goes along with this where you are trying to release this energy from you psychically. And uh, that on that level, on an un unconscious level within your psyche, there's something very powerful that happens in these kinds of intentional acts. And so, you know, I can get down with what, what she was saying. Yeah, I agree. It was, um, everything she told me started getting really juicy. She told me about my great grandmother on my dad's side and I never knew who she was. I never met her. She was dead long before I was born. I didn't even know her name until after I spoke to the woman, I asked my father what, it, what her name was. So she told me that, that my great grandmother was a great mystic and that she had a gift for me. And I was like, okay, that's interesting, whatever, you know, I just kind of listened to it and didn't think much about it. And so I started looking online to see if I could find more about my great grandparents and, and her. And the first thing that came up was some kind of, uh, was it, it was a, a power company that you could buy stock into years ago in the forties, I think. And apparently there was stock that my grandfather had bought that was just sitting unclaimed. There was some kind of money that was unclaimed. And I found it. And then my dad contacted the company and he was able to get the money. And I just found it interesting that I never would have looked for it if I hadn't been searching for her. So it seemed to me like she had a gift for me or a gift for my dad, my family. Yes. That was a, a cool thing that happened with her. But anyway, I'm going to get back to the childhood stuff because. That was awesome, I, though. I think it was. It was, uh, it was pretty cool how it turned out and very unexpected for my father. He had no clue. So, Synchromistic stuff. Yes, indeed it was. When I was a kid, I would also see 
dead people, <laughs> but mostly my my grandparents, my um my two grandfathers would come usually when I was trying to sleep and just show up in my room and they would gesture to me. They would never speak, but they would always gesture and smile and try to show me things and they would show up in my dreams. And another time I had an extremely clear, I don't know what it was, a visual. I woke up because I heard something and my, it seemed like my mother was standing over the end of my bed in her nightgown. And this was in the seventies. And I sat up and I said, mom, what are you doing? And she just disappeared into thin air. And I was wide awake and I asked her about the next day. I was like, were you in my room? She said, no. And I just thought it was the strangest thing. I don't know what it was about. And it could have been a hallucination, but I, you know, you, you can pretty much tell when you're awake. Or at least I thought I could anyway. So that was strange. And I had some sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis began when I was a kid. I didn't really know what it was at the time, but. How did, on the sleep paralysis, how did you, and I think we probably talked about this on Nox Mente, but how did you experience it the first time? Like, what what was the story with that? And how, was it scary? You know, like, it still can scare me at this point in my state, in my process. Oh, it's pretty much always scary. I don't really remember the very first time as a kid just looking back at some of the things that happened, I knew, I know now that's probably what it was. And I've always seen like shadow people and things like that and really more disturbing stuff as I got older, which I did think I, I do think I talked about last time was with things that look like demons and just really nasty, nasty creatures that are doing some vile things. Well, everything is demons, um, so. Yeah, it feels like it. It yeah. definitely does. <laughs> Especially with sleep paralysis. It's yes. very creepy and just really insidious. It's uh, It feels very real. And you can't move. And, you know, I just, I just had an episode on, I think, Sunday night. And I was here in my apartment and I uh, the, the cat was here, the cat that's not my cat, <laughs> was in the apartment with me and he's crawling around and cowering and acting strange. And there's a little bit of light, but not much. And I'm trying to see what's going on. I hear something and I'm, I'm out in the living room and the kitchen area. It's a big open room. And I step in a puddle of water and I'm like, what the hell? What's that coming from? And then I realized that the ceiling is leaking. It's dripping. And it just starts raining inside. It's like this cascading. There's water everywhere. The wind is howling outside. And I run, I run into the bedroom and I'm trying to I'm trying to get the lights on, which is a, 
a constant theme in the sleep paralysis where I can't get the lights on and or or they're dim and then they go out kind of thing. So I was trying to get the lights on and then I realized when I couldn't, I was like, oh, it's happening. Like I, I became lucid and realized um, I'm in the sleep paralysis and I'm trying to get the bedroom light on. And then I was able to get it on, but it was possessed. My little lamp that I have here in front of me now in the kitchen because of power situation, this lamp was broadcasting a radio show or something. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? It's rattling. It's it's moving around like it's got a life of its own. And I'm I'm trying to mess around with this. I don't know what it was, maybe a thermostat or something. And then I woke up. But here, suddenly, a couple of days later, we're having this crazy storm. And there's wind howling. And, and I couldn't, you know, there's been no lights on. So I got kind of nervous, like, oh, God, is this going to happen? Am I going to have a hole in my ceiling here? Oh, man, and, I know. Uh, and the way yeah. you dream as well, because you dream true. The broadcasting lamp is very intriguing to me. That seems so modern day, right? Yeah, it it was really, I couldn't figure out what, I don't remember what it was saying it was actually it wasn't music it was someone talking but i could tell that it sounded like a radio show or something i personally find that creepy (laughs) yeah well considering that a couple of nights prior i had another sleep paralysis where um i was in this place that i've been in before and it was dark like just enough there's just enough light to see and i was sitting backwards in an office chair, one of those ugly sort of gooseneck office chairs, you know, sort of straddled over it. And there was a desk next to me and I had earphones plugged in and it was piping again, some kind of, it was some kind of broadcast or something. And there was somebody standing there observing me. And so lately, <laughs> it's either the person <laughs> peeking at me through the hole or there's something trying to to pump some kind of programming into me. So yeah. Creepy stuff. But, Creepy. You know, those are those are dreams. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so you were leading us back to an early experience that started with the sleep paralysis. Oh, I don't know. I totally gaslit you, girl. (laughs) 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 Well, I don't think I can remember a specific event, you know, except for the things I've talked about before with being outside in my nightgown with lights overhead and um, beings in my bedroom and, uh, oh, God. Stuff like that. I don't. I don't remember a specific incident as a child because it happened so often that I, I can't really think of a specific time. So, but I just kind of wanted to talk about how weird things were for me as a kid and yeah, always seeing stuff like that. So, getting on later in life, 
with, with the sleep paralysis and all the other stuff and just having a lot of the prophetic dreams and things that definitely came true. Um, you know, I went off to art school in Savannah, Georgia, and I don't know if y'all know, <laughs> but Savannah is supposed to be one of the most haunted cities in America. Oh, I will agree and I know that with that. Then. Yeah, I yeah. my mother is a ghost there. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's one. she. That's where she died. I've been on so many ghost tours in Savannah. There are some great books devoted in Savannah. There are some great books devoted to ghosting. And I, I bought that. I had them all at one point and just different houses with famous ghosts in the different yep. houses in the gas villages or the, you know, the gas squares. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's true. Um, Cause I definitely saw quite a few things, even just in the first month that I was there, there was a, a dorm that I moved into is a historic building called Pulaski House. And there had been many tales from, you know, other students there of things that happened in that place. And I started <laughs> experiencing them myself. And the first one was I was alone in, in the dorm room. I had three other roommates. And they were either a class or out or whatever. So, you know, you're in college, you're making your pasta or your ramen noodles or whatever the hell it is. And I was boiling those and I was sitting on the one chair. It was a, a strange place with really tall ceilings and really tall floor ceiling arch windows and a spiral staircase going up to a sleep loft. And we had sort of made a living room setting underneath the spiral staircase with like an upholstered chair. And I brought a really old, small, um, black and white TV, old school analog with the, with the knob that you turn on and off to, you know, turn on, control the volume and all that stuff. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and... I go to check the noodles and I come back and right in front of my eyes, the knob turned by itself and shut the TV off right in front of me. And I ran out, <laughs> I ran out into the hallway because <laughs> I was like, what, what the hell? <laughs> hell no. <laughs> <laughs> So, and just then my best friend who I did go to art school with and lived with, she was just coming home from class and, and I'm standing in the hallway with my eyes bugging out and I'm freaked the hell out. And I'm like, the TV, I could barely talk. She's like, what's going on? Like, it just turned itself right off in front of me. She's like, oh, there's some, there must be something, you know, she's trying to come up with a, a logical explanation. And she's like, come on, let's, let's go back in. I'll go with you. And we go in and the TV was turned back on. It had turned itself back on. And I'm standing there like, no, it, it was off. It turned itself off. I saw the knob turn. And I have to just say, I wasn't doing any drugs. I didn't drink. 
I was completely sober and awake and I saw it. And so we're standing there talking. I'm trying to convince her it really happened. And we're both looking at the TV and it, it did it again in front of both of us. And she screamed and we ran out into the hallway. And so that was the first encounter. And that was like, I think maybe in the first few weeks of living in the building. And I had a friend who lived on the lower level and she was in an apartment that a lot of people had left before because of the activity in the apartment. The, um, what is it you call those, RA? That kind of takes care Resident of Resident assistant. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. She was staying in that room and she seemed to be a very kind of straight-laced, not just average person, kind of normie. She moved out of there because she claimed to see a drinking glass melt on the countertop. And so everybody was freaked out about that. And then there was a German girl that moved in there and she kept hearing an old man talking at night. And this was an all girls dorm with really strict visiting hours. And she kept hearing somebody talking in the bathroom. So she moved out and, and then my friend Karen moved in. So I went down, we, we were always up late working on projects together and we'd sit on the floor and do our drawing or whatever it was. And the one night we were sitting on the floor and the door opened by itself. It just, the knob turned and the whole door swung open, completely open and flush against the wall by itself. <laughs> and we're like, just staring agape, you know? And, and then we watched it close by itself as if someone had come in and then shut the door behind them or something like that. And so I got up and I, I opened the door and I'm looking in the hallway. There's nobody in the hallway. It was really late at night. There was nobody around. There wasn't any kind of noticeable breeze or anything like that, draft. And so I came back in and we talked about it. We tried to just ignore it and keep going and it happened again. <laughs> so there was that. And then some other night we started, we were up again late doing a project and we heard the old man in the bathroom talking to a little kid. You couldn't really make out what the conversation was, but there was definitely, it sounded like an old black man talking to a young kid. And we had heard stories that that building was sitting on a site that was part of the Underground Railroad, but we, you know, we didn't know. We just knew that there was a trap door in the floor that was covered by the carpeting. You know, that's like the de facto reason for ghosts in the South, especially in Georgia. Oh, it's the Underground Railroad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I actually looked up the history of the building 
just to see what the deal was because there were a lot of stories about it that, that it had that going on and then people said it was an orphanage and it was a YMCA and all this stuff but all I could find was that there was a, a home for widows there in the 1800s and then it got demolished and then they rebuilt it for the um, uh, what is it? The Jewish, uh, the JEA, I can't remember exactly the chapter of, of the Jewish, I think it's educational something or other. And they built that in 1914. And then apparently it was a home for, it was converted to a church and a lodge and a homeless center for uh, battered women and children, and supposedly someone hung themselves there from a spiral staircase. So a lot of stories, but you know, yeah, a lot of different. And then of course, <laughs> there's the Indians that were on the ground, and you know, before, and all kinds of stuff that creates these overlays of energy and. That's one of the things that's always intriguing with some of these places that seem to be uh, consistently giving off this activity where lots of people experience these kinds of activities uh, instead of just an incident here and there. And I always wonder about how, you know, the stacking of, of energy, the way we see with sedimentary rock you know it's just layer after layer of an energy and the traumatic energy is what's so pungent it traumatic energy is very sticky and hard to clean up if you will so just more it it attracts itself in a strange way i think i mean just you know everyone everyone can have their guess at it but i i've always thought in the south i never slept well in georgia at all i i never liked the energy down there and I'm, i think it's all kinds of things certainly I from and i actually yeah i mean and certainly <laughs> from the enslaved but before that and after that and i mean that there's a whole bunch of reasons why i think the south has a very strange energy to it the american southeast and uh it, it's it's pungent for sure, but I'm also really drawn to it at the same time. I just don't necessarily feel comfortable in it. No, I didn't either. And uh, I still had, I had even more experiences in that building and, and not just me, my roommates and other girls in different units did too. And a lot of times, on the weekends, everyone would go away, you know, they had boyfriends in different areas and whatever. So occasionally some of us would be alone for a couple of days at times. And in the sleeping loft, there were two sets of bunk beds and, you know, lining the wall. So there was a, a big gap in between them. And I had a couple of instances where I was trying to sleep and I would hear children laughing in the middle of the floor, like next to the bed. It would wake me up and I would look over and of course it would stop 
and then I'd be freaked the hell out and <laughs> pulling the covers over my head and just trying to fall asleep. And it would start up again with the giggling and the whispering. And there were a couple of other times where I saw a girl coming up the spiral staircase and walk between the beds through the wall, <laughs> which oh I was not the only one to see that there. I had another roommate who had seen a girl up there, again, walking through the wall. And um, my other roommate saw a ball of light that kind of rushed through the room downstairs and disappeared through the wall. So do you, there was a that, lot going on. In that house, do you recall your dreams playing out in any strange way? Did you have interesting sleep experiences in that space? Um, I definitely did. It's hard for me to recall any specific ones from that time frame, though. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. But just the general, you know, some places we dream more, some places we dream more intensely and all that. And it seems like kind of a way station of a, of a place with all that wayward yeah. energy, especially. Yeah, it definitely had uh, a lot. It felt like a, some kind of vortex or something with all that activity going on all the time. And the squares, you know, Savannah has I think, what is it, like 24 squares or something like that? Quite a few of these park squares. And this particular square seemed to have a lot of, uh, you know, there were a bunch of fires in the city and things like that. It just seemed to have some unusual activity as far as even the homeless people that would stay around that square had very strange behaviors that I hadn't seen in you know, I've seen a lot of homeless people because I've lived in a lot of different areas and cities, and they all seem to be fixated on counting and talking about cellular stuff and just really offbeat weird stuff. I don't know. And they seem to gravitate to that one particular square. And then there was Child. a guy who... <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, on every full moon, there was this man. It might have been a gimmick. I don't really know. But there was a guy that would come out on a full moon dressed in a cape and a full-on tuxedo. And he was a vampire. He That was his thing. So oh, he was stepping. It, would be, <laughs> it was pretty... Uh, it was always pretty exciting to see him because he... You'd run into him in an alleyway or some random place, and he would just be like whipping his coat around. It's very dramatic, and I love um, characters like that. This is one of the reasons why I love Nola too, New Orleans, <laughs> or all those, you know, exactly. all the all the offbeat characters and the feel there. I do love Savannah. I must say that I just never slept well there, but I love the look of Savannah. I love the feel, the swamps, and. Uh, all that the Spanish moss, of course, just like Nola. Uh, it's just a it's a different feel. But that's one of the things that 
lets you know that there's something below the surface of what we're experiencing when we come into these kinds of places that have so much uh, density and energy. And it's almost like you pickle in it. It's thick. It's, it's pooled. It's almost like a pool. And uh, you know something's going on more. And it just reminds you that life is a very mysterious experience in as far as what we experience with our senses, our, our, our known senses, and then our psychic senses that inform us on different levels. And so uh, that's one of the things, like I'm saying, with old cities all over have a really interesting vibe, and they all feel so specific to you know, NOLA doesn't feel like New Orleans and New Orleans doesn't feel like Santa Fe and, you know, or Jamestown or any of these old cities, they all have a different stamp, but there's something extra mysterious in a true witchy way down there in those Southern towns, like St. Augustine, Florida. Oh my goodness. Love it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it just figures. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Too funny, JJ. <laughs> I was trying to dial back in and it was telling me that I already entered numbers. I didn't enter. <laughs> I didn't even know you left. I'm over here just talking, oh, looking shoot. off into the yonder. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> Okay, we had another synchromistic experience right there. <laughs> totally. Oh, uh, so what did I miss? <laughs> Jerry got the bell. I was just talking about the flavor in some cities, how they pull the mystery of cities. And I was referencing uh, certain cities like Santa Fe, uh, New Orleans, St. Augustine. You know, these cities in the South like that have a very certain mysterious vibe to them where other old cities do too but there's something witchy about those southern cities and i do think it's the influx of all the different cultures that were inhabiting them in really rather short periods of time when you look at it um, because other cities in old european cities that were not as uh, not port cities you know they have the same residence really for a long time and they don't get that way station feel that American Southern cities do. And then we have all the different religions that have come through them. And, and then, you know, America's the birthplace of hoodoo and conjure, but hoodoo is how people, a lot of people know it as hoodoo and all this uh, stuff that became very particular to the American South. Yes. And also speaking of cities and specific areas that leads me to Seattle from there where I had quite a few other bizarre things happen Child, that Seattle I'm Park. telling you <laughs> I don't know if it's uh chief Seattle curse or what's going on there or just mm -hmm. the land itself I think it it probably goes further back before that but I I had experienced quite quite a bit of unusual things. And there was a time where 
I was walking back from a friend's apartment with my boyfriend at the time. And we always had to pass this one block, which was closer. It was kind of a, it was a strange sort of clear shot from this person's apartment to our apartment. We pretty much just took a straight road all the way and it took about 15 minutes. So we, we had to pass this kind of abandoned asylum on this one block. At least that's what we were told was some kind of mental facility or, or insane asylum or something. And it, it was all shut down and it was fenced off with a chain link fence. And of course, all of the trees on that block, these big old trees were all dead. And only on that, anything touching that entire block all the way around on that side of the sidewalk, all of those trees were black and dead, nothing growing on them at all, as if there was a poison or something going on because across the street in any direction, the trees were fine, just full of leaves, full of life. So we had to pass this place and it was a calm, quiet night. There was no rain, no wind, nothing. And we're walking past it and there's an alleyway. And we hear something, we hear a commotion in the alleyway and there's something down there banging against the chain link fence. And we both stop and look. And we're looking and neither of us said anything, but we saw both of us this sort of clear um, figure. It kind of looked humanoid. And it, it really reminded both of us of the predator alien, where you can sort of see it's clear, but you could see the shape of it. Yeah. And, and this thing was hurling itself against the chain link fence, flying down the alleyway, ricocheting back and forth between the two fences and smashing into the fence. And we're just standing there with our mouths open, like, what the hell is that? And there wasn't anything else moving. There weren't leaves flying or anything like that. It was just beating the hell out of itself. It seemed like, it seemed like it was beating itself up or trying maybe to get something off of it. And it was just banging against the fence all the way down, making a huge racket. And you could see the fence visibly, you know, denting in as it was making an impact. And we just started running. We're like, holy crap, what is that? And my, my ex, he was very superstitious. He never wanted to talk about ghosts. He never wanted to hear anything about it. And he was freaked the hell out. He was like, did you see it? Did you see it? It was clear. It was hitting. I'm like, yeah, I saw the same thing as you. And we don't know what it was, but there, that was the one time we saw that. And then there were other incidents in that specific block where the friends that lived in the apartment building that we were visiting, you know, he constantly had to walk by this place to get home. And he was confronted by a man there 
late at night. Well, actually, probably after midnight. And he said the man looked gray and he was, I can't remember what he said to him. He said something really creepy to him. And then he kind of melted into the fence and disappeared in front of him. And then there were always, again, with these homeless, you know, as far as I understood, I think at the eighties, a lot of the mental hospitals in Seattle supposedly let people go onto the streets because they didn't have the funding anymore. At least that, that's what we were told. And there would always be these people just staying anchored to this block. They, they were all, we called them the limpers because they all had some kind of um, injury or they'd be, you know, they'd be on a crutch. They seemed to have broken limbs, wheelchairs, and they would all stay around that block. So it seems like some kind of vortex there too. Do you remember the quality of your dreams in that space? Was there more activity, anything, you know, it doesn't have to be the specific stuff, but just anything in your inner life that seemed uh, triggered or activated by some of these energies? I had a lot of dreams there. I actually did quite a few dream journals um, with artwork, which I wish I still had. I was doing a lot of mixed media and collage work, and I was having very vivid, lucid dreams there. Um, I'm trying to think of specific ones. A lot of uh, disaster dreams and um just really creepy i never had i never felt good as i lived there i just felt worse and worse i got more and more depressed living there and it was a real struggle to stay there i didn't want to be there anymore and unfortunately i was kind of stuck financially and things just got really dark for me there yeah i've i've heard a lot of those stories do you so what years were you there? When were you there? Um, I moved there in 1995 in December. And what a treacherous trip to get there. <laughs> oh, my God. In December, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I went from Florida. I was living in Naples, Florida with my boyfriend at the time. And his best friend drove down from Maine. And we we rented a sedan. <laughs> And we went across country and everything was honky-dory until we hit Oregon and the mountain passes. And it was white knuckle all the way. And uh, I remember the day that we finally pulled into Seattle in the morning. I felt like, oh, shit, I made a huge mistake. I just felt like I had landed on the moon and... It felt so bad. It had such a bad feeling for me that it was hard for me to shake. Um, so I lived there. I, so that was that. And then I moved, finally got out of there uh, in 2000 and moved back to the East Coast, which was a hell trip. Another, this trip was, <laughs> people tell me I need to 
like write a, a book or have a movie or something. It was just the most horrific trip on the way back. Girl, I love memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Those are always the juicy. So when, and so in this, in your tenure there, which was basically five years. Um, yeah. This, was there anything that came out of, of that whole experience that besides ultimately what you learn and how you learn and, and all this stuff, but what was the point now that you look back of being there? What ultimately do you think that, that gifted you for the future? Oh, wow. Well, it was the gift that kept on giving in a bad way for me because I met someone who had a really strong impact on my life um, that rippled through my life for years. This was a very dark person that ended up being kind of a handler for me and nearly ruining my life and almost killing me several times. Um, and we started out as friends and then it just, he became more and more controlling and I just couldn't seem to get away from him. He was really a dark person. So that was, I think the point of being there was to go through that experience. And it was a, it was an initiation for me. It really was. It opened me up to so many different things and um, just completely changed my perspective on life and the world that we live in. And all quite a bit of the par the paranormal and uh, creepy ghost experiences began with him. Ooh, child. He had soul. some attachments that were just unbelievable. And I moved back to the East Coast with him and he carried that shit with him and both of us and then into other friendships and situations. So I think that was just a big growth period for me being there and encountering that and all the weird stuff that happened with him there. Um, you know, that was with the guy that melted into the fence and things like that. And then uh, there were just, there was another incident where when when we were friends and actually you know seeming to have a friendship we would go out together and the one night we went to a club and we were leaving we we're trying to figure out what to do he said he wanted to go to the after party and we're standing on the sidewalk and i had one of my wonderful visions popping into my head and i i saw him being attacked by three men using a club and it was a very strong uh vision and i told him i said i don't think you should i don't think you should stay i think you should go home but the the worst part was so he actually listened to me and went home and on his way home he was attacked by three men and they attacked him with one of those club steering wheel locks oh, Jesus. so in my in my vision i saw like a baseball bat or some kind of wooden club 
but in actuality, it was uh, one of those club steering wheel locks, and they they attacked him and they broke his arm in several pieces. Like he was really screwed up, and uh, that seemed to attach even more dark stuff to the situation. That's yeah. crazy. That you know, this it illustrates something also with these like haunting and ghostly stories is that some people are haunted and I'm using that as a metaphor, but some people have so much unbelievable energy around them for one reason or another. And we could go off on all the different scenarios as to why a lot of people have a lot of conviction in certain uh reasons as to why but it still the baseline here is some people seem to be beacons for this energy some people seem to be uh a, not only beacons but self-generating this energy through whatever stuff has happened in their lives and how the way they're processing their lives and the events in, within their lives that create these kind of uh, almost like vortexes within people. And then, of course, there's always demons. <laughs> yes, there's always <laughs> demons. Yep. Yeah, no, this, this person seemed to be very uh, just plagued by the darkness. And I would always see the shadow people around him and uh, even before we left he had really some weird stuff going on with um, people coming to his apartment and ringing his doorbell and uh, that's one time his girl was just outside the door we could see through the peak hole and she was just sobbing and just repeatedly ringing the bell and he asked her what she wanted and she just said, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And then she just took off and left and it was just strange. And um, when he was trying to move out of his apartment, there was this old woman who kept, she was so creepy. She kept taking his stuff out of the dumpsters and putting it back into the elevator and just messing with it. And then she showed up at his apartment with a, um, a dream catcher that she said she made for him. And it seemed to, there was something really creepy about her. She just seemed to be attracted to him for whatever reason. And it seemed like she had some kind of spell working going on because things just went really downhill around the time of the, that attack that happened. And then he ended up moving in with me before we moved back to the East Coast. And again, just dark things happening and uh, strange incidences. Like I, we went out together and someone put, basically put a roofie in my drink at this bar. And it, it was a whole strange experience with that. I don't know what was going on with that, but... Um, on the trip back, we're trying to desperately just to get the hell out of Seattle because it, like, it felt like it just wanted us, like it was just going to swallow us up. 
Mm-hmm. It will eat you, child. <laughs> <laughs> it was like we couldn't leave because there was this crazy storm, like a historic storm out of nowhere the day we're trying to leave. We have packed up all of our belongings and put it into a minivan and um, mailed stuff ahead of us to friends, to my friends. And uh, we could just couldn't leave. And then when we finally did get going, the minivan was so heavy. It was just way overloaded. And we're going through the mountain passes of Idaho. And I'm, I had to drive because he had a broken arm. I had to drive the whole trip back from the West Coast to the East Coast by myself. And uh, we're going and all of a sudden there's this, I see in my mirror, there's a man, there's a car flying towards us from the back, like really flying. And we're going down this really steep hill and I'm trying not, I'm like pumping the brakes because the tires are sliding because the car is so heavy and I'm afraid I'm going to lose my brakes. And here this guy is just whipping up behind us and he, he kind of like flies around the right of me and around down there's, you know, a curve where you can't see anymore past the, the hill ahead. And we got there and there was dust just everywhere, dirt flying. He had, he had smacked into one of those green and white highway signs head on. And the, the car was just, it was all smashed up in the front. Oh and I got it, I stopped the car, I got out and ran to the car and the airbag had, you know, gone off and he was, it was awful. He was dying. And I was screaming at him to stay conscious because oh my God. he, it's pretty, I don't want to get too graphic, but his neck was broken. And I was trying to, trying to keep him awake because, you know, back then it wasn't common to have cell phones. So neither of us had a cell phone. And so we were waving people down, trying to get people, anybody who had a a phone to call, you know, to call for help. And finally somebody did. But he, the poor guy, he ended up dying that day and we had to continue on our trip. And it just was terrible the whole way. <laughs> there were like uh, tornadoes. We made it to South Dakota. Oh, I can't remember. It was July 4th weekend and everywhere we went, we couldn't get into a a motel or hotel because they were all booked up and um it just seemed like the whole thing was doomed from the get-go and then when we made it to south dakota and the badlands and all that stuff there's tornadoes (laughs) and just insanity going on it was a crazy trip I didn't feel like I was going to get back to the East Coast alive with all the stuff that was going on, but I did. And Jesus, JJ. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I wanna... that's a little aside from the haunting stuff, but it just, it was that feeling of like, it felt like Seattle just did not want to let go, that there was this dark energy. So that's what I, that's why I went into that. Well, no, this is all, this is great stuff for Halloween period, especially. I want to, if you will, 
I want to talk about when that guy died. So did he, when, when you were there roadside, did you experience him die? I mean, I know they didn't declare him dead till later, but did you, did he die there? I think he did. I don't really know. I just know I called the local police later after we had made it to wherever, because I was just devastated. I was just completely horrified. It was really, it took a toll on me to see that happen. And I, I do think he died right in front of me because he lost consciousness. That's what I wanted to get into a little bit. What, what, were your senses observing because you're hyper it's a hyper situation so everything's really uh on alert our senses are and all that did you was there anything that went on in that process that did seem kind of i guess otherworldly in a really subtle way yeah i felt uh there was i just remember it just seemed it's one of those timeless you know, where you're everything slow motion kind of situation. And there seemed to be some strange quality around him that I can't really articulate. There was some, I'm not, I can't say it was some kind of mist or something like that, but I did see sort of a strange, it's almost like heat coming off of pavement kind of thing, like a wavy, Yes. Energy. And I remember seeing something really faint like that around him when he lost consciousness. But of course, I was in a hysteria. So I wasn't really, wasn't really thinking about it that much. But I do remember it. Yeah, it's a, that's dramatic. This whole thing is dramatic, girl. oh yeah there's so much i mean these are things i don't actually haven't really talked about with too many people so i like i like the idea of a memoir though with a really catchy title i'm not sure what the title would be but you know escape from seattle (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) i actually i had seattle (laughs) yeah it had i mean i know we have friends living there and stuff. I just, I would never go back there. I told all of my friends that, sorry, if we're going to see each other again, we're going to have to meet somewhere else because I just had too many things happen there that I just never wanted to go back. Oh, hell, two of my favorite people is up in there. (laughs) Ross and Michael Watts. These are two of my favorite people on the planet. Good peeps. Yeah, absolutely. It it is, you know, for me, Seattle's a dark place too, but it's so funny with these dark cities. So San Francisco, they're always, one of the things I've noticed is they're always really beautiful. At least this is my perception, or maybe it's why I'm drawn to these places because they're aesthetically beautiful with beautiful architecture. And then I realize they're like Venus flytraps or something where I can't escape them. Yeah, it seems like so many are just uh, these these boiling points of this bizarre energy. I was in Seattle once. What do you think, Jer? Uh, I wasn't there long. It was like a day. But I had the worst panic attack of my life there. Oh, wow. Why did uh, you have a panic attack? I don't know. Uh, do you remember? Okay, so this was an anomalous panic attack. Yeah, it was. So this was like in 2003 or four. <clears throat> uh, by the Space Needle, there was a um, 
there, there may still be there some kind of music history museum. I don't know if yeah, I, know. I saw that when I it was new when I was living there. Yeah, so inside there they had this giant shoe, and there was a movie inside about uh, James Brown. It was like a giant platform shoe theater, if you can imagine that. Probably seats about twenty people, and the movies went all around the inside of the shoe, and the music was you know it was cool. But sounds fabulous. It was, but I had a crazy-ass panic attack in there and had to leave. That's interesting, Jer. That's my there, story. You know, but that, that's a more interesting. Well, Seattle's an interesting town. It's got the underground thing going, the whole Shanghai thing, like here in Portland. And uh, it, there's a lot going on there to give it a certain dark undertone. But when so you flew in there, Jer, right? Yeah, we, isn't it um, gorgeous flying right into it with all the? I, I, I don't remember. Did it I, look, I, if I get oh, on a plane, I'm, I take two Xanax, so I'm out. Oh, it's I love <laughs> flying in or out of Seattle because it's so the terrain as you're going in or out is so beautiful. We had. It to, reminds me of an eagle's nest or something. It has this sort of nest shape to me. At least that that's the way I thought of it. I'm well, pretty sure we flew island. in. I'm pretty sure we flew in at night because it was. Uh, I was flying. Out. We flew actually to Seattle, drove to Redmond, and met with Microsoft. Okay. Yeah. Well, at night you can't see anything, yeah. and you know a lot of the year <laughs> up yeah. here, up here in the Pacific Northwest, with most English weather, it's you know eight months out of the year, it's gray and cloudy. So <laughs> I love flying into Vegas. So Vegas is great to fly into. I am not a talk about another dark city. We need yeah. to do a whole show on dark city. It's dark, but, I, but it's a beautiful city to fly into. Yeah, well, it is. I'm I'm transfixed by the light, you know, the strip and all that. And so there's something magical about it as well. There's something magical about all these cities. It's just the darkness adds to the mystique, adds to the um, patina, if you will, yeah. as opposed to as opposed to kind of drab cities and drab cities are everywhere. It seems like these cities um, that we're talking about are numerous, but really there are more drab cities <laughs> in my opinion. I've been to so many that <clears throat> these ones that really stick out with this kind of crazy patina are interesting. Yeah. Last time I was in Chicago, I was just awestruck at how dark and, heavy and oppressive the energy was in the city it's just it didn't seem the same anymore i was i couldn't get out of chicago fast enough when i left and i got out by 2000 so i i don't know what it is i just feel like chicago is now i had chicago was actually really really good to me we got Beetlejuice so, running it now, so that's why it's... I know that Beetlejuice is something else, <laughs> isn't she? Lord have mercy. But there is something about Chicago that I'm not sure. I've never been able to put my pulse, my finger on the pulse of what it is about Chicago I don't like. But there is something, and this is so terrible because, again, that city was really good to me. Yeah, me too. Well, lived there for were, 30 years. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not quite your hometown, but it's close. It's my hometown. Well, you still a New Yorker. I lived in New York for like 
three years. Jerry, that don't matter. <laughs> That's long enough. <laughs> right, JJ? JJ's yeah. East Coaster. That don't matter. So, all right, JJ, what other, you got, I know we, I'm always gaslighting you, girl. I, um, so. <laughs> I know what you're doing. <laughs> girl, I got this beautiful 1890s gaslight lamp. Now, okay, so what else do you have for us, Miss Rende Blanc? Well, so when I got back to the East Coast with my ball and chain dark friend, um, I moved in, well, we temporarily stayed in a friend's house and there was all kinds of activity there in the basement. There was, we would both see a person down there. Oh no, she's gone. Or I'm gone. Hello? Everybody here? Yeah. Okay, okay, we're all good. What happened? So there was a person in the basement uh, that we had both seen on a couple of occasions and we had a full on conversation with my weirdo friend. And I always was like, okay, whatever. But I saw the person too, when I had to go down and do the laundry and it was always just freezing down there because the air conditioning was insane in the house. And uh, this, this person would always be kind of sitting in the corner lurking. And sometimes he was very, clear and other times it's kind of out of you know out of the corner of your eye kind of situation going on and that didn't last too long I ended up I'm not going to stay on that too long because there's a lot more to talk about but I ended up getting an apartment in Elizabeth New Jersey and that was a really old building I think it was you know over 100 years old at least. And when I moved in there, again with the shadow people here and there, and then the doorbell to the apartment would ring on its own all the time. Um, and you'd open the door and there'd be no one out in the hallway and, and the bell would just be ringing. And uh, a lot of the ceiling fixtures, the lights would sway when there wasn't any draft or anything going on, no windows open. Um, and then eventually I started experiencing a knocking there where it would knock on the front door of the apartment. Again, you know, you'd whip open the front door, there's nobody there. And it would be knocking on my bedroom door and then it started knocking on the underside of my bed on the box spring. Ooh, now that's where you draw the line. <laughs> like, you can be knocking anywhere else, but you're getting on the bed now under the bed. No, no. Mm -hmm. So that stuff was going on. And then one time in, in the living room, it had uh, a French door. And we had put paper, like a rice paper over the, the clear panes just to make it a little more private or whatever. 
And I was in there with my friend and another friend, and we were sitting on the couch watching a movie. We were watching the movie and then out of the corner of my eye, I saw the light was moving like, like it was swinging. And of it caught course, my, of yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it caught my friend's eye. We both looked towards the French door, and we both saw a shadow figure pass in front of the door and head towards the window of the kitchen. <laughs> like, oh shit! <laughs> I mean, it was it was very noticeably a figure, like a person. And of course, no one was there. So there was a lot of that activity going on in that apartment. And yeah. a lot I don't of like that under the bed dreams. thing, JJ. That just oh, always... that was very disturbing for me. Mm-hmm. It was that's really a, that's a, like close. a shark. You know, like, <laughs> like seriously not under the bed there's like i have it's like my spider roll in the house y'all are fine in your corners and stuff and don't start crawling around and getting in the bed and stuff like that it's really disturbing when this kind of activity moves into like your almost your your personal sphere like that that was way too personal for me. It was. <laughs> That's uh, what I'm saying. That's so a short thing. If it's knocking on the front door and then my bedroom door, but when it's underneath my bed, I, yeah. So I didn't sleep too well while I lived there. And I actually ended up taking apart my bed and putting my mattress on the floor because I couldn't take it anymore. And I really don't know what it was, but it clearly wanted my attention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this was it. Was, I lived there for a couple of years, and at times by myself. And um, it was right around the time of nine eleven. And I remember waking up that morning, and you could see the towers from my bedroom window because it's you know across the way from Manhattan, so I could see the smoke and everything, and. It just seemed like all of this activity sort of surrounded that time frame. I don't know if it was related at all, but it just, it definitely was all culminating at one time. So <laughs> there's more, wait, there's more. And well, another. There's always more in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so much in New Jersey, like so much. I moved around a lot. And I ended up living with a few people, again, with this same person that I just couldn't, it was like a fucking parasite to me. And I moved into this condo and there was all the shadow beings all the time, again, where we would see them by our, when we're by ourselves and then all together at once, we would see things and there was kind of a a weird disembodied arm that a few of us had I didn't see it myself, but my my other two friends claimed to see it in the closet in the living room. It was sort of a a black shadow person arm. And one time I was 
walking down the hallway at night and the one friend would work nights so he wasn't home and the other friend was sleeping he didn't have it it was his bedroom was a makeshift bedroom it was actually he was in the living room and then we had made the small bedroom into a living room so it was, it was flip-flopped and he didn't have a door so he had a curtain up but he he had forgotten to close it and he fell asleep with the tv on and i'm walking down the hallway and i was kind of you know parallel with the door and i saw this really tall like seven foot i mean really almost hitting the ceiling shadow person come out of the tv and head towards him they're and, here yeah and i was like just standing there like a deer in headlights i'm looking and this thing it seemed to suddenly realize that I saw it and it looked at me, its head turned towards me and then it disappeared in front of me. <laughs> so that was one of those times. And then, oh, damn <laughs> and then we also had this catastrophic flood in that condo where um, there was some, hurricane in the area, a milder, I think it was Hurricane Hannah. And uh, the, the condo people had not cleaned the gutters before the storm. And so the gutters were overflowing. And there was like one of those old 80s air conditioning units in the wall, the wall type. And the water just started pouring through. It flooded the living room. Like it, I guess it started happening before I got home from work and it just had flooded the entire living room and damaged furniture and damaged the floor. And then it was, it had developed into black mold and all of this stuff. It just seemed like, and it was almost every place we lived in, there was some kind of major leak or flood going on. There the water always, is a big deal with all this. Yeah, there was always some kind of water going on. <clears throat> Where the water flows, the problems grow. They say, listen, just restoration <laughs> of houses, but I say we apply that to psychic stuff. Yeah, it, and it. I kept looking at it like, God, this must be some kind of, it has to be some sort of message for me or something. So... We ended up moving out of there and um it looked like Jerry had something to add there. <laughs> I did. Oh, what about, you got? I've got this pet theory about uh indoor plumbing and water flowing through houses and creates a vortex in your house of energy. See, this makes a lot of sense to me. Water really is a con you know, it is a conduit. So mm -hmm. Jerry, explain a little bit more on that. Well, you've got water circulating throughout your house in the plumbing system and it it basically encircles your whole house and creates an energetic field within your home. And with copper pipes and water, you've got the magnetism that's being generated by that. That creates a field. And with the shift over, okay, so my, my, my thought was that the copper in older homes and stuff can either trap stuff within that field and keep things out as well. 
and with the shift over to PPC piping in the, in the last, what, 30 years, those protections are gone. So like any, anything could just float into your house now. Oh, that's why I like my old houses with the copper. Mm -hmm. And then, so if you put someone in there, that's a very high receptive psychic person like JJ. Exactly. You start getting more of that kind of way station. You're like, oh, there's a beacon over here. Light, light, light. Right. <laughs> and <clears throat> yeah. And it's just, it, if you, have you, um, it just, it's, I've always thought just that that energy field created by the water flowing through copper can trap energies within it which could keep ghosts anchored to a place, not only anchored there by that field, in addition to the energy being embedded in the structure. I'm down that makes sense that. to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's very logical to me. That's you, Jerry, though. You're always there, Mr. Logic. Yeah, <laughs> it's just my thought. I'm done. All right, Sorry, well. I gaslighted you again, girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I can handle your kind of gaslighting. Hey. Especially having been through so many years of gaslighting. I know. I know. <laughs> We're all pros now. Don't That's right. fuck with me, fellas. Can't rattle me, bitch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, Lord. We're feeling it. All right, JJ, we're on the tour. All right, so next we're in Westfield, New Jersey, in a very large home of uh, a dentist. He, he built the house and he had a thing for closets. He had, I've never seen so many closets in a house, quite honestly. Um, this guy, I only know what the, the realtor people told us, but- uh, <laughs> he was just a well-to-do dentist and he had a really cool um state-of-the-art oven that that i guess was at the world's fair when it was debuted into the world so there was a really cool oven in the kitchen and a, a ton of cabinets and just interesting little retro you know i guess they'd be vintage um appliances and things like that built in it sounds and then awesome. all oh it was actually pretty cool it was extremely expensive to rent but um well that's that's a whole other issue but so oh, life in modern times <laughs> <laughs> that was after i i lost a house that was in the middle of buying and needed a place to live immediately so Oh, JJ, I'm we saying these memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's so many stories. So this place, it had just closets in every room and built-ins. And um, the one room that I took as my bedroom was downstairs next to the kitchen. It was kind of, it seemed like a almost a mother-in-law kind of suite because it had uh, a large bedroom and then um, it had a, a walkthrough built-in closet into a full bathroom. And that closet and a few of the other closets in the, in the other bedrooms upstairs had built-in wooden shoe racks and all kinds of stuff and really pretty cool but just strange. <laughs> I don't know what this man needed so many closets for, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah. So <laughs> we moved into this place and 
Um, my friends go out to, I guess, to go to the grocery store and take a drive or something. And I was like, I'm going to stay here and start unpacking some stuff. And, you know, when you move in, sometimes things are just, you, you want to clean it. So I started cleaning the master bathroom upstairs, which was pretty large. And it, it had its, a separate shower stall and a big, huge tub. And, you know, the Jack and Jill sinks. And then it had a huge three-door sliding door closet with lots of shelves, like a big linen closet. And so I start cleaning the bathroom and then I, I'm cleaning, I'm always wiping down the shelves because they were all dusty and dirty. And I realized I left the paper towels downstairs and I was like, okay, well, it, it was a huge house and it was like really a long, <laughs> a long road to get down to the kitchen. So I, I go down and I hear something upstairs as I'm downstairs. I'm, I grab the paper towels and I'm walking kind of below the bathroom in the dining room. And I hear something that sounds like, like sliding doors moving on a track. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like pocket doors? <laughs> yes, sort of like a pocket door. And so I get upstairs and I walk down the long hallway and I, I get to the bathroom. And the middle door was closed the middle door to the three doors. And I'm sitting there like, man, I, I swear I left that open. I know I left that open, but I'm, I'm tired. You know, I moved all day and I'm cleaning and going crazy with stuff. So I just was like, okay, whatever. And I open it up and I, I continue what I'm doing. And then I realize, oh shoot, I should have brought a garbage bag and all this other stuff. So I go back downstairs again and same thing. And this time before I went back downstairs, I'm making a mental note of the door and how I'm leaving it. And I left it open. I knew I left it open. I get downstairs and I'm walking through the dining room. And again, I hear the door sliding above me. And I get up there and it's, it's closed again. And this time I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> freaking oh out i'm playing with the doors and the track trying to see you know it's an older home it's not that old but it's old enough that maybe there's some unevenness in the floor or something and i'm i'm playing around with it and i'm like there's no way there's no way this door slid by itself and so i just tried to continue on cleaning and i I moved into the hallway and I was using like a Swiffer mop and all of a sudden I get this really creepy, I just start getting the chills. My, ha my hairs are standing on end, I'm getting goosebumps and something was behind me in the hallway and it, I felt this rush move through me like a, a chill, like a wind blow right through me. And I heard a really high pitch ringing in my ear from it behind my ear, passing my ear in, in front of me. And I 
dropped the mop and I ran down the stairs. I was like, oh, oh my God, something just passed through me. <laughs> and oh I'm God. freaking out. And I just stopped. I didn't go upstairs again. And I don't know where my friends were. They were out for quite a long time. And I decided to try to just go to bed because oh, yeah, I had to work the next day and I'm I you know I'm just that's it I'm I'm closing my bedroom door I'm locking it and I'm just gonna stay in here with the dog and so I I'm trying to sleep and I'm awake still and I hear what sounds to be the front door of the house slam and my dog sits up like all alert, you know, looking towards the bedroom door. And oh, I'm like, okay, they must be home. I'm still awake, I'll go help them with groceries or whatever. So I go through the dining room again and into the, the formal living room and then there's another room in the front. And the door's closed, there's no lights on, there's no, no one's home. No one came home. I thought someone came home. I look in the driveway. The car's not there. And I'm like, okay, that's really strange. What in the and hell? I, <laughs> so I'm looking around like, did someone come into the house? There's somebody in this big house and I'm all alone. And I'm, I'm checking all the rooms and nothing. So I go back. Um, I'm heading towards my bedroom. And again, from the bathroom upstairs, I'm standing in the dining room, I hear above me, not this time, it's not the door this time, I hear footsteps, really heavy, hard sole shoes walking in the bathroom. And I'm freaked the F out. I'm like, oh my God, there's somebody in the house with me. I, they must have been in a closet. I'm thinking about all the closets and, and this person has gotten into the house and hiding in a closet. So I call my friend immediately. I'm like, where are you? There's somebody in the house. And he's like, come on, you're, you're being paranoid, you know, whatever. I said, just come home. There's somebody here. I'm not sure if I should call the police, but there's somebody walking upstairs. So... <laughs> I come out and, and it's still, it's, it's walking around, it's moving around, it's slamming things up there. And they got home and we all looked through the house together. There was nobody there, nothing. And this was not the only time this happened. And it happened to all three of us at separate times where there was something walking in the hallway upstairs or walking in the bathroom um, there was one time where my friend was in his bedroom with the door shut and he heard he heard a person walking up to the door and just standing there. And uh, another time, those two were watching a movie in that room and the closet door slid open by itself in front of them. And there was a lot of activity with all the the closet doors in the house it's separate occasions and sometimes we would all see it together sometimes it would be individually 
another time um, in the kitchen, some of the cabinet doors had opened on their own when no one else was home. And the fridge door opened wide open by itself. And I mean, you name it, it was a lot of poltergeist activity in the house, but it all seemed to be with these enclosures, like closets, cabinets, anything with a door, it wanted to move it. And did, so with everyone that was living there at the time with you, what, this obviously was a point of conversation, correct? Or were oh, people yeah. just yeah. on it? Okay. No. You know, some people are, you know how some people are, JJ. Oh, yeah. No, you know, this was, go ahead. No, I was just saying, you know. Oh, yeah. No, no, we, we all talked about it. I mean, you couldn't help it. You couldn't help but discuss it because it was so, it was almost every day. And was there, there did you look into the history of like, did other people that live there experience this kind of activity or any, did you ever get any, answers as to not answers but more I guess uh backstory unfortunately not too much but um it seemed to be that there were a lot of people that lived in that house and didn't stay very long a lot of people had moved because we would constantly get mail addressed to all different people and Mm-hmm. They got the stuff. Sorry, they got the fuck out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we were, we were there for, I think, four or five months. And then we ended up moving. Um, oh, not my God. Of that, but we moved. And uh, there was an incident that happened to my friend while he was home alone, where he saw some kind of glowing ball of light above his head near the ceiling. And it came down and it basically kind of punched him in the face or punched him in the head. It knocked him out. So the, the, the stuff, it started really amping up over the time we lived there. And then there was this mysterious umbrella lady that would come into the backyard. Um, What's going on with it. the umbrella lady, girl? <laughs> I don't know, but there would I'm be this Asian lady <laughs> <laughs> that would just show up with with an umbrella or like a parasol but, and it wasn't you know she wasn't dressed in old timey clothes or anything like that but she would just just she would just walk in up. with her parasol yeah and it was a fenced in yard so she would you know whatever she was whoever she was she was clearly coming around the side of the house to get into the backyard and um she would just stand there. And one time she was just sobbing. And my friend tried to talk to her and she was talking about her daughter in broken English. And um, eventually she, she stopped coming, but she came. You sure on she like, wasn't a spirit? Well, that's what we were thinking that <laughs> she probably was because mm -hmm. it was just so strange. Yeah. And it had happened four or five times that she ended up in the backyard. So, so some of the rest <laughs> of you thought, so this was a theory going around with y'all that it was possible that she was some sort of a hungry ghost, you know, where she couldn't pass. Yeah, exactly. And again, 
more flooding in that house in the basement. Mm -hmm. The water child. Flooding and molds. Oh my goodness. And the mold. See, we don't even talk about this very much, but I do believe, you know, the mold is sentient in my opinion. I, I it's like a, it's a fungi and fungi. Well, it's a living thing. Yeah. Yes. It's absolutely. And it's got a different level of sentience than we do. Clearly it's probably more intelligent looking around, but um, it, it, there's something, there's something kind of creepy about fungus and magical too. And I can go there with all the magic, but I've always felt there's something a little creepy about fungi and how it networks and the communication, the uh, neural pathways, you know, that it's, that it has, it appears to have. I, I can't speak intelligently about it because I, the I don't know. The network of mycelium is what you're talking yes. about. But that's what, that's the extent of what I know as far as how that all works. It works like uh, neural pathways in the brain, doesn't it, Jer? Not really. Um, it just it just <laughs> continues to spread. It, grows. it seems very parasitical to me, in a way. Parasites are generally single organisms and don't rely on other parasites. They rely on a host, whereas mm -hmm. mycelium and fungi will grow within a medium and network within that medium until it's completely saturated with mycelium. Yes. That's, that's a, a little explanation. bit creepy. It's creepy. There's something to it though. And you can feel it when it's really at a saturation point when you're around it in a house that has a lot of mold. I've always been able to, uh, it, there's a presence <laughs> to it. It's very invasive. It just, Physically and just it feels it feels. It's like <sighs> kind of a creepy. Yeah, it's, a, it's very creepy. It's creep. Hello, it's got. It's it's it is totally. <laughs> oh, 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 we got a screen share going on. I got What's pictures. What's going on there? Some my cellar, my grow. You grow oh, it. Was this chair? Years, years ago. Five, Look how clean four, the house is. Four or five years ago. Shut up. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. So what were you growing there? Is this magical? Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Magical mushrooms. <laughs> how so, are you? <laughs> the mycelium will grow to encompass this. I'm sorry, Jer, but I'm intrigued by the naked figure in the back. What's going on there? It's an X-Files <laughs> statue. Wondering. Okay. I'm, I'm like, sorry. what is that? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they can also go bad very quickly and get moldy. So, like, to get to that point, what what was the mistake you made there? Why did it all of a sudden turn bad? Don't know. Something got in it. Contamination. I had, I think, three jars and two came out okay. But it starts out, they start out wherever the spores are introduced into the substrate. Mm -hmm. And then they grow off from there. You can see here there's one there and one there. And yes. they grow out and then they'll they'll meet. And then, and then it's love and they create more, don't they? <laughs> well, it just continues to consume the substrate until there's no longer any uh, growth material or whatever the hell it eats, whatever the mycelium eats. And then it turns in on itself. Well, it, it will it will consume everything in here, and then the whole thing will be threaded with mycelium. 
But well, that's then, why I thought of it as parasitic in a way. Cause yeah, yeah. in a way it is. Be. In a way it is. And then you put the cakes down and change the humidity level and you get fruit. Well, What's called fruit. Jer, hmm. My goodness. Mm -hmm. I know they look like little penises. They do. <laughs> <laughs> little magical penises that will take you on a magic ride. <laughs> or large clitoris. Anyway, right. however you want to look at it. Like that. We're, we're equal here. That's right. That's, that's right. A, it's like the uh huh. That's devil's genitals. I don't have any. <laughs> Take a mystery ride with Jerry Cthulhu. That was back when I was was uh, experimenting with microdosing. Well, I'd certainly love to be doing that. I don't know if I could do that right now with the paranoia. But anyway, I, I gaslighted again. I'm sorry again. for interrupting. What no, is Jerry, going what on? That, what in the hell is going on? That's what we needed, that little, that little something, because it is all addressing this, the, the season that we're in, the ghosting season, the witchery and the ghosts and all this. So what else, Miss JJ, that did, did this develop into more or did you leave that space? We left that space and got into another house that has, that had some strange, I never really saw anything there, but it definitely had a, a presence to it. It felt like, and there was something weird in the attic. It was like one of those walk-in attics and, um, there was writing all over the ceiling and the walls in Chinese. And it had um, like newspaper clippings that had been pasted onto the ceiling and some kind of leftover. It seemed like some kind of altar of sorts. And that house was, oh my goodness, the heat, the, the boiler, kind of busted oh my god the boilers girl it was in january the <laughs> oh my it was god. january and the first night there and the heater broke and then there was some kind of smoke filling up the house um it just seemed to continue with all the weird problems and there was also flooding in the house too so and that's when I finally was able to get out of that tightly bound dynamic that I was in for 10 years and all of that stuff really began to leave my life. That says a lot, actually. The haunted people is what we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I still had sleep paralysis and things like that. But uh, as far as seeing the shadow people and all the flooding and all of the strange, you know, um, seeing Asian lady in the backyard, <laughs> things like that, it seemed to subside and just get better the more time that elapsed between me and, and the person. Yeah. Leave them ghosts behind. Wash those ghosts right out of your hair. Yep. And now I seem to have a good grip on keeping that stuff away from me for the most part. 
except for this last week with all the sleep paralysis. But hey, it's been much better for years now. It's it's interesting when we look at these paranormal, as they are called, stories, and how different periods in our lives or different peoples we're talking about, this stuff can circle around and not just houses, but just periods of time. And somehow when I was thinking about this earlier, when I posted um, the genealogy stuff with the Salem witches in my line, that it, it can be, sometimes I'm thinking, we work these things out through our genetic detoxing, if you will, like a psychic detoxing of stuff within our genetic lines as we right. cross certain checkpoints in our own narrative. And, uh, you know, a crook in your neck could be related to something that went on somewhere in your genetic line where you lost your head or you're hung or something and you move past that person's narrative that lived and all of a sudden you don't have your timeline move so the person had this whatever beheading when they're 29 say you had the headache or the neck pain until you were 29 then when you got past being 29 you don't have the neck pain anymore I've heard so many stories like that and it just makes me wonder what this quality of genetic memory is within bloodlines. And it seems to be really tied into a lot of this kind of ghosting symptoms, ghosting stories, uh, ghosting narratives that go on within our current timeline and all that. What do you think about some of that stuff? Oh, I agree with you. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, especially because I've come to learn that I've lived in many places that my ancestors lived in and settled in that I had no way of knowing about that. And even to the point of where I'm living now, I actually have um, great grandparents buried in the cemetery here that I didn't even know I had. And um, I had never been to this area in my life until two years ago. So I feel like there's some kind of deep connection there. And I do think that what you're saying about this, you know, the, the injuries or whatever, these ailments that manifest definitely seem to have something to do with um, a spiritual energy and possibly a generational thing through these ancestors. And uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. I had something big to say there. <laughs> but um, I do think that we are connected to the, the spirits of these people through our blood and that we run in the same circles. I mean, it's becoming actual physical proof to me that 
that, you know, some of our ancestors ran in the same circles and intermarried and lived in the same places. And it seems like a cycle that's repeating. At least that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, that's for a lot of people that don't have some context to this is Janie, uh, JJ and I are deep into genealogical stuff right now with our Babs out there, who's a genealogist. And I, it's, I had a feeling that a few of us overlapped in a big way. And as Babs has been unwinding these narratives through our genealogy, it's becoming consistent and true. We're intertwined so heavily through through the past and uh, through our direct ancestors and our people have been mingling, not just in, in America, in, in the old worlds and all across these different countries and stuff. And it's unbelievable to me how absolutely synchronistically we run in the same circles i'm seeing it i jj and i overlap in many places and coming out of the closet girl (laughs) isn't that the truth girl isn't it magical though it's like so here your people are and my people are having this experience in name a century and uh and then here we are having this experience and i cannot believe that it's not the same thing that it's not a coherent thread of sentient interlapping and interloping. Um, we are entwined and I'm, I'm really starting to have a deep knowing through this dive we're doing currently through genealogical studies. Yeah, same here. And I'm feeling like a lot of the things that have gone on over the years for me are tied into it for sure. And I think uh, even with that knocking situation, I mean, that definitely could have been somehow a spirit of an ancestor that was trying to get my attention. I don't know. I just see all of these patterns coming together and it doesn't seem impossible anymore. It seems like like it's happening that it's this is a real thing and it sounds like deep wood other people but when you start to see these things formulate right in front of you in concrete information it's pretty hard to dispel absolutely that's what i'm saying it's uncanny there's so much uncanniness a lot of people are just doing their own genealogy and they're not looking at how they're intertwining with anyone outside say their family tree and we went in specifically looking i knew i knew that you and i went back we go back centuries i mean we shall share we share grandparents we share we share so many direct relatives and some of my absolute favorites we both share eleanor of aquitaine as a grandmother yours like 22nd grandmother mine 24th we just keep going back in centuries and into the modern world and I can't help, and then and then Babs, and then I don't want to name other people, but it's it's just becoming apparent that what are the odds here when we're looking at the number of 
alleged number of people on the planet. What are the odds? And when you start looking at the different places, I've never lived on the East Coast, but a lot of my kin has. I mean, they're part of the, you know, the story there. And so looking at JJ and I, JJ born on the East Coast and I'm born in the Midwest, you would never guess how intertwined we are. unbelievable and this is why it's taking it into a onto a new level for me and i think there's something bigger happening with this kind of awakening in our consciousness as far as collectively in understanding our roots and our uh and how deep our roots move and intertwine with other people and in part of this stuff that's going on in the outer world, we are actually kind of detoxifying also. We're working through nasty stuffs in the history and in our histories collectively as a people. And uh, and there's a lot of stuff that needs to be uh, brought to the light. And so I think that's part of what brings us to this crazy place we are in time. We are here. And when I look at some of the times and places JJ and I overlap, some of them are very tumultuous. And so again, and here we are in a tumultuous time, it seems connected to me. Yeah, that's, um, that's why I think it's, it seems to be in cycles that sort of swirl in and different markers in the timeline. So... so. I see Jerry's like, wrap it up. No, no, no. I was doing a swirl. It was a okay. swirl. Jerry, what is that sign language going and wrap on? It up. No, if I see, wrap it well, up, it would be this. Wrap it up. We need to, we always need to get on the same page with that, the sign language. Like, I'd be like, that's Jerry's wrap it up. And But he's like, it's the cycle. I was doing like totally, totally layers. It's layers. Can we all get on the same page, damn it? I had a couple questions. Yes, let's go there. So someone wanted to know if you ever use Ouija boards. Um, I years ago as probably a preteen or something played with a couple with friends, but nothing major. Didn't have, didn't really have anything happen there. there. I, I, I think this was a question for you. So if not, it's a cool question anyway. Do any of your experiences influence or inspire your art? They have. Um, I'm trying to think of um, probably, well, when I was living in Seattle, again, with the dreams and some of the experiences, I was definitely making artwork to try to, like, sometimes I can, sometimes I need to use different mediums to convey an idea I'm trying to get down. So just one type of medium like paint or whatever doesn't always work for me. So I'll start cutting up pieces of magazines and pictures and using paint and um, sometimes putting, you know, found objects, things like that to try to pull it all together because there's really no language that I know of that can make it what I want to see visually to try to show people. So yeah, to answer the question, yes, it has affected my artwork in some sense, especially, well, now I'm not doing much artwork. I'm doing a lot of jewelry still, but. uh, Girl, please, that's art. 
<laughs> no, so, it is. It definitely is. But it's, do we need it's to get into a discussion different. on what art is? <laughs> <laughs> it's just different for me. The visual stuff. I know. I'm just messing <laughs> What else, Jerry? Any other questions for JJ out there? Not, not that I'm going to read. <laughs> Oh shit! It's like that. Oh come on! It's Os oh, come Oswald on. wants to know if um, did you hear anything about communitarianism while you were in Seattle? Lord have mercy, <laughs> Oswald. No, nothing, nothing uh, I can recall, and that was you know a long time ago now. Yes, back when Seattle is, was cool. This is in the time before now. The before times. The before time, that's right. It's what everyone's calling it. Me too. What did they call it in uh, in Cloud Atlas? Like it was the before four time or the... Something like that. I loved a lot of language in there. I've always used the true true too. I look the how true, they true. said this is a true true. Anyway. Yes. So, so this was so fun. Jerry, what you got? I put all of uh, your links into the show description so people can know how to find you. Thank you. I think my Twitter is wrong in there, but no, it's not. I can tweak it later. <laughs> it's not. She's private, sure? y'all. She's private on Twitter because okay. she's dangerous. I, I clicked it because it looked funny to me. I had changed. Oh it, yeah, actually. that is goofy. See, so, now that we check it, this is the thing. JJ's no dangerous, baby. so her Twitter's private. <laughs> <laughs> fixing it right now. God damn it. Tony. JJ's a heretic. All right. Oh, you know. Now it has JJ's right. Crazy like stalkers that. and such. JJ, okay, so it it got fixed. It's fixed. It's yes. already fixed. Well, this was fantastic, my love. I just adore you. You know how much I love you. You're my sister. You're my favoritist, favoritist, bestest. And um, I'm just so grateful that you're in the world creating art, telling ghost stories, uh, talking about some woo and being fabulous like you are. We are all thank better you. off for Miss JJ up in here. And you so know I love you. Oh, thank you. And and thank you for being on the Obelisk with Jerry and I. I know Jerry Thanks talks for having me on. Thank you, Jerry. Jerry takes over the show. Oh, it's me. hard to deal with. <laughs> I take over the show. Yes, Jerry, just strong arms this damn show. I can't get a word in edgewise. Oh yeah, that's me. I'm I'm the pushy one here. And anyway, so Jerry, thank you. I adore you, and I everyone I'm, listening. We're teasing. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, we Jerry and I are always doing this. That's what, you know. We started the show with me asking Jerry to pull up to my bumper. Okay, we yeah. can we can handle this. Is it wrong for a man? I had to pull up to a woman's bumper. Okay. It is a, <laughs> don't say that these days. I think not, um, counselor. <laughs> Ooh, governor. Um, Hello, governor. You're a towel. Anyway, so. Don't make me sing like Ethel Merman. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was a fun show. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank yep. You, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, JJ. And thank, thank you, Nish. You. And uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with, I think, David Barsky. Ooh, yes, cool. we weaving spiders. Yeah, but he's never awesome. on a damn show. But he's going to well, be on still, the show. We'll have a good time with Barsky. Oh, yeah, he's totally. so, so wonderful. And yeah. then I've got uh, also in November, um, Aurora, the flying rainbow lasagna lady. Ooh, I'm Ooh. very much excited for that. Yeah. I think, Jerry, we should start booking a lot of circus people circus people 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like the sideshow type people. Give me a list. I will. Anyone out there, this is a call. There like was actual circus a, people. Well, sideshow kind of people like that. You, you know, fun people like that. Like there's an act right now in Vegas <clears> and it's this, I can't think of her name, but she's, uh, she's got three tits. Literally and three tits or she, like, no, really. Cool. And, um, and she's a, like a burlesque performer and I'm just dying to talk to her. I think she sounds fascinating. So stuff like that, I think my, you know, peppering in here and there will be fun. I you know, I tried to get, I tried to get Brian Rose on for a long time. Who's that? I think that's his name, Brian Rose. He had a, a modern freak show that he traveled the country with. I forget the name of it right now. Oh, I do know who you're talking about. Right. Like, he would be fabulous. Yeah. I tried to get him on. I couldn't reach him. I actually met him once in Vegas. I played poker next to him for like five hours. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but, I want to get some of those fun kinds of people on. Again, we're going to pepper up this show. We yep. love a freak show. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Yes. And uh, I'm working on getting Cliff high on the show. Grandpa, oh. I mean, Uncle uh, Cliff. Uncle Cliff. <laughs> <Yes>. Uncle Cliff. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, I hope he's not listening. I'm gonna pe- he's not. I'm going to pepper him with emails till he comes on. <laughs> Terrible. Um, All right. All right. Yes. That's all yes, we got, guys. Hey, we'll see you in a couple <laughs> weeks. Thank you. Stay safe. And uh, let's go, Brian.